0: Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here, and especially this is your first time with us. And we are one church that meets in multiple locations. So this morning, there are people out of Stone Canyon that are worshiping, as well as people watching online. So if you would, put your hands together and welcome them into our family room as we have our discussion around God's Word today. And there's one other group I would like to acknowledge before we go any further. Today is Father's Day. So if you would, put your hands together and let's welcome our dads this morning. And I know we have a lot of incredible, amazing dads here at First Church. So in your honor, I found some clips of some incredible dads that I'd like to share with you. So take a look at this footage. Dad to the rescue, right? Some of you dads have been there before, yeah. <laughs> you know, as I watched those clips this week, one word kept popping into my mind. That was the word, wow. You know, especially that one dad that chased the little tice car down the hill and caught up with it, saved his kid. Wow, that's incredible. Or what about the dad that caught the kid falling off of the couch? I mean, that's great reaction time there. Wow. And I'm sure we've all had moments or experiences in our lives where the only word that's come to mind is the word, Wow. Well, I can't believe I just saw that. I can't believe I just witnessed that. Wow, did that really just happen? And wow comes to mind for a lot of different reasons. One of my best friends in the world is a guy named CJ. And we were on staff together at the last church that I served. And he actually started on staff as our summer intern. He was a college student. So I took him out to eat like his first week, wanted to get to know him. And as we were finished eating, we were leaving the restaurant. And as we're leaving, there's this girl walking in with her mom. And this girl was college age as well. And she was just super pretty. And she was wearing this real fancy dress. Her hair was made up and she had makeup on. She looked like she just walked off of a beauty pageant stage. I mean, she was Miss America pretty, and she was walking in the restaurant, and CJ wasn't paying any attention at all. He's probably down looking at his head, down, looking at his phone, and so he didn't see her come in, but I'm holding the door for her and her mom to come on in, and he almost runs right into her, but before he does, he looks up, and he sees her, and when he does, his eyes get about this big, and he said out loud for all of us to hear, wow. And I looked at him like, did you really just say that? But I didn't say anything. She kind of laughed. She went on inside the restaurant, and we went on outside, and I said, CJ, do you realize what you just did? He's like, what? I said, you said wow out loud for that girl and everybody else to hear. And he goes, I said that out loud? I thought that was just in my head. And I was like, no, you said it out loud. And he kept laughing, and I thought, aren't you embarrassed that you said that for her to hear? And he goes, no, I'm just glad I didn't say what else I was thinking. <laughs> you ever had one of those moments when you just thought, wow. You know, as you read through the Gospels and you study the life of Jesus, what you will find is that they are chalked full of stories where Jesus left people just thinking or saying, Wow. Well, I can't believe he just did that. I can't believe he just said that. Jesus often wowed people. And today we're going to look at one of those moments. It's found in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, want to turn there with me. And Mark chapter 6 records... What some people would argue is Jesus' most impressive miracle outside of the resurrection. And this is the only miracle of Jesus, again, besides the resurrection, that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. It's a pretty impressive thing that happens. We often refer to it as the feeding of the 5,000. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, Mark's account of this scene, but I'm also going to reference the other accounts as well because they give us some extra details. And this moment that we're going to study, the feeding of the 5,000, it takes place as Jesus starts. His third and final year of his earthly ministry, and at this point, most of you guys know Jesus is at the height of his popularity. Some ten to twenty thousand people are following him everywhere he goes. And on one particular day in April of 29 A.D., the group following him, well, they're hungry. See they've been listening to Jesus teach all day long. They started early in the morning and it got to be evening time and they hadn't taken any breaks. In fact, they're in a remote place. There's no place to go and buy food. And so they're hungry. And the disciples, they realize the people are tired, they're getting hungry, they're worried they might get hangry. You guys know what I'm talking about, hangry, a combination of being hungry and angry all at the same time. They're worried that the people might get hangry and so they come to Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, you might wanna dismiss the people and let them go to the surrounding villages, countryside, and buy something to eat in fact that's what they say mark 6 verse 35 this is a remote place they're talking to jesus and it's already very late send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat now this was a logical idea this was actually a smart idea the people are hungry they're tired there's not enough food around for them to eat so let's send them away so they can get something to eat but jesus has another idea Jesus has something else in mind, and that's what we're going to look at today. Pick up with me, if you would, verse 37 of Mark chapter 6. But he answered, after the disciples said, send the people away. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, I want you to notice something before we go any further. The last verse that we just read, verse 44, says that the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Only the men were counted on that day. Now, there were women and children there as well, but they only counted the men. So we typically refer to this as Jesus feeding the 5,000, but there were probably some 10 to 15,000 people there, if not more, when you add in the women and the children. And all of them were fed by Jesus on that day. See, by far, this is one of Jesus' most impressive miracles. Now, in Jesus' day, like in our day, there were con artists who would try to gain a following by doing sleight-of-hand tricks, and they would call them miracles. They were full people. But, you know, it's hard to fake feeding 15,000 people, isn't it? In fact, some people would say it's impossible. And Luke, I'm sorry, Mark gives us this extra detail. Mark 6, verse 42 says, They all ate and were satisfied. Mark's telling us here, here, they didn't just eat, they didn't just get a bite apiece or something, they ate until they were full. They were stuffed. Nobody there left hungry. You see, it's not just that Jesus did the miracle, that's pretty cool, and it's not just that 15,000 or so people witnessed the miracle, that's even more impressive, but 15,000 people personally experienced this miracle. And I think that's why it's the one miracle outside the resurrection that's recorded in all four Gospels. Because as the Gospel writers are writing their accounts of Jesus' life, they're writing about 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so as people would read these stories about Jesus' life, some people would probably say, did that really happen? I mean, did he really do that miracle? Did he really accomplish that? Some of this is hard to believe. And there were still people around living in the area alive that had been there on that day. They were part of that 15,000 or so that actually had some of the bread and the fish that he had passed out. And they could tell others, oh yeah, that stuff's true about Jesus. I was fed that day. I was part of that large crowd. And this crowd, they're so wild by Jesus That when John tells us about what happened in John chapter 6, if you want to look over there, verses 14 through 15 says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet, meaning the Messiah, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. This is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The people, they are so blown away by Jesus, so wowed by him. They're ready to force him to be their king. See, they had in mind that the Messiah was going to come to be an earthly king, set up a physical kingdom on earth, and was going to take over the Roman Empire. And Jesus didn't come to be that type of king. He came to rule people's hearts, not rule by the sword. But they didn't know that. So they're ready to force him to go ahead and take over the world, basically. You're going to be our king. And so Jesus slips away because he knows, one, his time hasn't yet come. But also, that's not the type of king he came to be. But that's how impressed, that's how wowed the people were by Jesus on this day. But impressive as this miracle was, did you notice how Jesus performs the miracle in such a casual way? I mean, Jesus kind of does this miracle in in, in such a subtle way that it's almost shocking. I mean, this is Jesus' most impressive miracle outside of the resurrection, and yet the heavens don't open up. There's no flash of light, no smoke or anything like that. There's no big drum roll as he gets ready to do the miracle. Jesus just has the disciples sit everyone down in different groups, and he just prays over the bread and the fish. He breaks it, cuts up the fish, and he just keeps breaking it, and there's just enough to go around. It's that simple. Nothing real dramatic here. He just keeps breaking the bread and keeps dividing up the fish, and there's enough to go around for everyone. The miracle is so subtle, it's almost shocking, and I think there's a reason for that. Jesus isn't trying to dazzle anyone in this moment, no, he's trying to teach them something. See, there's something bigger going on here than the miracle itself. There's something bigger going on here than just some hungry people being fed and wild by Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus was concerned about the people's hunger. I'm not saying that. But there's something bigger going on than him just feeding the multitude. Did you notice the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples after they said, hey, send the people away, let them go to the surrounding countryside and buy something to eat? Did you notice the command he gave them? Verse 37 of Mark 6. You give them something to eat. Now, most of the time when we read this passage, we skip right past that command and we go to the miracle part because that's the cool part. That's when Jesus, you know, is really his power is on display. So we skip right to the miracle. But I don't want you to miss the command he gives his disciples. Notice it's not a suggestion, it's not a passive request. Jesus commands them, it's an imperative. You give them something to eat. And the disciples immediately realize Jesus might be serious. <laughs> And so they want to point out the absurdity of what he's asking them to do. They want to point out just how crazy he sounds right now. And that's why they say in verse 37 of Mark 6, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Come on, Jesus, you've got to be kidding You can't be serious. There's no place around here to buy that much food, and even if there was, it would take eight months' wages. We don't have funds for that. That wasn't part of our strategy meeting that we had the other day. That wasn't part of our budget that we made up at the beginning of the year. What you're asking us to do is impossible. But Jesus doesn't give up. John's gospel tells us that Jesus then turns to one of the disciples directly, a guy named Philip, And he turns to Philip, and he directly asks him, John 6, verse 5, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Philip, where's the nearest Walmart? Where's the nearest Sam's Club or Reese's? Let's go empty some aisles and feed these people. And what's interesting is, John tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Instead, he did this for a different reason. He asked the disciples, he asked Philip this for a different reason. John 6, verse 6, he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already had a plan. He already knew how he was going to take care of this situation. He just wanted to see how his disciples would react, he just wanted to see how they would respond. He was testing them. There's something bigger going on here than just feeding some hungry people and Jesus wowing a crowd. He's trying to teach them something. And so how does Philip respond? Well, he responds in a similar fashion to how the other disciples respond. responded. In fact, he adds a little extra detail. John 6, verse 7 says, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread. In other words, the other disciples said it would take eight months' wages. Philip says, I've been calculating up the cost and I've been looking at this crowd and it's growing, Jesus. There's just no way. Eight months wouldn't even do it. Eight months' wages wouldn't even do it. Wouldn't even buy enough bread for everybody to have one bite, one taste. Jesus, no, you mean well and everything, but we just, it just can't be done. What you're asking isn't just impossible, it's illogical, and really it's kind of irresponsible because you're giving people false hope that they're going to get something to eat. What Philip and the other disciples are saying, Jesus, just cut your sermon short and send the people home. And I've got news for Philip and the other disciples. A good preacher never cuts his sermon short. Now, you can <laughs> laugh at that if you want to. I'm just following the example of Jesus, and that's when Andrew, another disciple, spoke up. And his response to Jesus, "Well, it's a little better." John six verse nine. Andrew says, "Here is a boy with with five small barley loaves and two small fish." Now, if Andrew had stopped talking right there, it would have been fine. Because Jesus said, okay, what food do we have? And Andrew says, okay, I've been out. I've been looking over the crowd. This is what I came up with. I found these five barley loaves, two fish. A little boy was carrying it. That's all I could find. Uh, All these thousands of people. It's the only food I could find. If he had just stopped there, that would have been fine. At least he tried, right? Jesus said, find them something to eat. At least he tried. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to add this comment in verse 9. But how far will they go among so many? He cast doubt. I found some, but... It's not going to do much. There's a little boy here with a sack lunch, but that's not going to do anything. That's not even going to touch this crowd. There's no way. That amount will barely feed this boy, let alone the thousands upon thousands of people that are gathered here. And before I go any further, I want you to realize exactly what Andrew found when he found this little boy. See, when I was growing up in church, I was in children's church, vacation Bible school, all that, and I heard that Jesus fed the people with five loaves of bread and two fish, I pictured that the bread looked like this. I thought it was like an Italian loaf or something. I thought this boy was carrying five loaves about this size. I'm not sure why I thought the boy was carrying all that bread, maybe he was a delivery boy or something. He was bringing them to somebody else. I don't know why, but I thought this was the type of bread that he was carrying. That's what I envisioned. But John tells us they were five barley loaves. And what you need to know is barley was the bread of the poor. A barley loaf was not near this size. It's about the size of the palm of your hand. It was a circular piece of bread, very thin, kind of cracker-like. It was hard. And it's what the poor would eat. This is what this little boy was carrying. Not five huge loaves, kind of five oversized crackers. And then it says he had two fish. And again, as a kid, what I would hear this story, I thought that the boy was carrying... A couple of good-sized fish, though maybe not a large bass or catfish like some of you guys might catch. I've seen your pictures on Facebook, but a a decent-sized fish, one that you could eat, a couple of these. Decent size. That's what I thought the boy was carrying. But John says that he was carrying two small fish. And when you look at the Greek, it lets us know they were tiny, probably even smaller than this. They may have even been sardines. Small fish. So what this boy was carrying, not two good-sized fish and five huge loaves. He was carrying two small fish and a couple of oversized crackers. Some scholars even believe that the two fish he was carrying, that they would have been chopped up into pieces and made into some type of relish. So it's equivalent to this boy carrying some crackers and a can of tuna fish. That's what Jesus used to do this impressive miracle. So to bring that into our day and age, let's say... Let's use this illustration. Let's say that we had an all-day seminar here at First Church, and I was teaching all day long, and the place was packed out. You know, we can see about a thousand people in this room if we jam everybody in here. So, let's say that we had a thousand people here, and you guys are going to listen to me teach all day long. Now you guys would not do that. I know that, but still, let's just say, for this hypothetical illustration, everybody showed up, and we, uh, and we listened to, you guys listen to teaching all day long. So, I'm teaching. I start early that morning, and I go all the way to the evening time, and we don't take any breaks. I mean, you guys are just so into what I'm teaching, and we don't take any breaks. We just keep going, and then, I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, by the way, and we get to the end of the day, and it's like 7, 8 o'clock or so. We haven't had anything to eat, and one of the elders comes up and is on stage, and he whispers in my ear, and he says, Chad, the people are getting hungry. We need to take a break. You need to dismiss the people so they can go to Chick-fil-A drive-thru or something. We need to let the people go. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm right at the good part. I don't want to quit yet. And so I turned to the crowd. I said, listen, I know everybody's hungry. Let's see if we have enough food to go around. Anybody have any food on them? Anybody got anything they can share? And so people look around. They're looking at one another. And all of a sudden, this lady runs up on stage, and she says, hey, back in the EC wing, back in our early childhood area, a mom just dropped off a Happy Meal for her boy. That's the only food we can find in the whole place. I'm like, okay, let's see what we got. So I open up that Happy Meal, and I pull out a, you know, a child size hamburger, and then I pull out some apple slices, a bag of apple slices, which only have like four in them, but, you know, some apple slices, and then I pull out a little bitty thing of french fries. I know that's cute because french fries are bad for you now, so, you know, they don't give you the good-sized fries anymore in the Happy Meal, so just a little bitty thing of french fries. And I put them out here on the table, and I said, that'll do. We've got 1,000 people in the room. Let's eat. You guys would laugh at me saying say, that's nuts. There's no way. I mean, that would barely feed my five-year-old son, almost five-year-old son, let alone one of our teenagers. I mean, there's no way that a thousand people are going to eat that, right? But just imagine Jesus had that much food, if not less, and he turns to his disciples, he says, okay, we got 15,000 people in, that'll do. I can use that. Now, we know what happens, because we've read the end of the story already, but the disciples are probably thinking, what? No way, Jesus. Some of them may have even laughed. But I think that's the point. Jesus, again, is trying to teach them something, and here's the big idea. Here's what he's trying to teach them. God can do a lot with a little. The God we serve, the God we worship, the God we love, the God who created us, he can do a lot with a little. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear me on this. If our God can create everything out of nothing, which is what the book of Genesis says, then imagine what he can do with something. What is he capable of doing when we give him something to work with, no matter how small we might think our offering is? No matter how much we have, it's always enough for God to use. No matter how much we have, God can do something with it. Do you really think that Jesus needed those five barley loaves and two fish? Do you think that when Andrew brought those five barley loaves and two fish to Jesus, that Jesus went, man, I'm glad you brought that, because I do not know what we were going to do if I didn't have something to work with? Of course not. Jesus could have fed the people from nothing. He could have turned stones into bread, right? If he wanted to, he's God. But Jesus, again, is trying to teach his disciples something. He's trying to teach them that he can do a lot with a little. Because the day was coming when Jesus wasn't going to be physically with his disciples and his later followers anymore... Now, he was still going to be with his followers. He's still with us today through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, right? But he wasn't going to physically be with his followers anymore. And so there would be rough days when his followers might be tempted to say, we just don't have what it takes to change the world like God wants us to. We just don't have what it takes. We don't have the resources. We don't have the ability. We don't have the gifts. We don't have the talents. We just don't have what it takes. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples I can use whatever you have. He's trying to let them know, I'm never going to ask you to do something that I won't give you the power to accomplish. Jesus told his disciples, you give them something to eat, he's not going to ask us to do something that he won't empower us to accomplish. Because we serve a God who can do a lot with a little and I think that's why Jesus challenged his disciples by saying in Mark six thirty seven, you give them something to eat. And I think that's the challenge he's giving us today here at First Church. God wants us to get to the point where we say, okay, God, we hear you. We hear what you're asking us to do. We hear what you're commanding us to do. We know it's a big challenge to go in and change the world with the love of your son. We know it's huge. It's bigger than any one of us. We don't have what it takes on our own. But, God, here's my five loaves and my two fish. God, here's my time, here's my talent, here's my treasure. Take it, use it, multiply it, because I know you can do something with it. So let me just ask let me ask you, let me ask our church as a whole what are you doing with what Jesus has given you? Because for the past four weeks, we've been in this series, which we're calling Generous, and we've been emphasizing how the church is at its best when it practices generosity. God is calling us to reflect his heart. and One of the clearest ways that we can reflect his heart is by demonstrating Jesus' light generosity. We should be an extravagantly generous people because we worship an extravagantly generous God. But I wonder what we're doing with that challenge. You as an individual, as a church today, what are we doing with that challenge? Because here's the thing. I think when Jesus fed the multitude, he's feeding... He did this miracle because he wanted to know something from his disciples. The gospel writers tell us Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He had a plan already that he was going to carry out. But he's testing their faith. He's asking them the question, do you trust me? He's saying, I'm asking you to do something that is beyond your ability. And do you really believe that I can be trusted? Do you really believe what I'm telling you you can do, you can do and I think that's the question he's asking us today. See, over the past six months, we, we've been going through an exciting and transitional time here at First Church. And I think all of us can tell that God is at work and God is doing some great things in our midst. He's not just doing some great things now, he's laying a foundation to even greater work in the future. I am pumped, I'm excited about what's going on here at First Church. But I wonder if during this exciting time, this transitional time, if God isn't also testing us If God isn't looking down at us and saying, First church, do you really believe I can be trusted? If God isn't saying, I'm ready to do something even greater in your midst than you can even dream of, but you have to trust me. You have to trust me with what you have. You have to trust me with your time. Trust me with your energy. Trust me with your talents, your gifts, your abilities. Trust me with your resources, with your money, your tithe. Trust me. And if you trust me, I'll do something great with it. That last part, trusting God with our resources, our money, our tithes, that's something that we all struggle with at times. And this week, we sat down with a guy in our church, a guy named Thomas, who learned that over time. He went through a period of testing, and he learned that when you trust God, he'll do great things with what you give him. Take a look at his story.
1: My name's Thomas Morris, a member here at First Church. Before we gave, I think we were real similar to uh, a lot of people. You, we went to church and we, we threw a little money in from time to time, and I think some of that might have been just because you felt like you had to, uh, you really weren't sure how really money works in the church, and we never really push to, to make it to a 10% type tithing by any means. The church was putting on a Financial Peace University class, and what an eye-opening event that class was for me. It uh, really showed me what, uh, how God wanted us to handle our money, the proper ways to do it. and uh, The big thing is, is not to worry about money. He owns it all. He has it all. It's all his. All he really asked us to do is to uh, handle it properly. Working for a company for almost 15 years at the time, and uh, they were going through some uh, layoffs. And one evening or one morning when I was driving to work, uh, my boss had called me and asked me not to leave the office until he had actually talked to me that after or that morning. And then uh, about 10 o'clock he actually called and uh, informed me that uh, the company was going through some uh, cutbacks and that I was going to have to be let go. I packed up all my stuff out of my office, came home, got on my knees, held my wife's hand, we prayed. We always made sure that our tithing came off the top. Then everything else started getting paid. You would think you would stop. You have to cut back on in that area, but it was actually the reverse or opposite for us. Um, We kept it up. That money to us was part of what God gave us. That's why we were thankful for even having the, the savings there in the first place. Seven months without a job. And the job I got, I could just check off everything that my prayers were. Every prayer I could check off. God's generosity was to give his one and only son to die on the cross for us. God does not ask that much from us. And it really takes very little from us to make such a big difference. So when people ask, do I see generosity working at our church? Yes, because the generosities of of others before me or the people that are here today went to building this great church. Every time when we're in church and we see people being baptized, I know it was my tithings and the tithings of others around me that had something to do with that person coming to that point at that time because that is what we are here for as Christians.
0: Sometimes God allows us to go through a time of testing to see if we really trust Him. I love something that he said in that video He said, the real return on your investment when you give to God, when you're generous with what God has given you, is when you see people accepting Christ being baptized into Him. And it's funny, I heard Thomas say that this week, and I was reading a book, and I came across this quote. It's a book by Rusty George entitled, When You Then God. And listen to what Rusty says. He says, when I invest in God's kingdom, sometimes the greatest gift I receive is the joy of seeing baptisms and dedications and people choosing to follow Jesus That's the mission of the local church I'm invested in. Here's something I've noticed without exception. Every tither I've ever met says, God has blessed me so much. And every non-tither I've ever met says, I can't afford to tithe. Think about that for a moment. See, on that day in April of 29 AD, Jesus saw that the people were hungry. And he turns to his disciples, he says, don't send them away, don't send them home. You give them something to eat. The disciples say, we can't do that. Jesus letting them know, I'm never going to ask you to do something that I won't give you the power to accomplish. And I believe that's what Jesus is telling us right now. We live in a culture today that is spiritually hungry, spiritually starving. That's empty. It's desperate. And God is looking at us here at First Church and saying, you have what they need, and I've given you more than enough. It's time you share it. It's time you give them something to eat. Jesus says we have right now what it takes to fill the spiritual hunger of our neighbors, our co-workers, our our teammates, our friends, our family members. The question is, do we really believe He can be trusted? Do we really believe that He can do a lot with a little? Today's Father's Day. I love Father's Day, especially now that I'm a dad. Alex came into my room this morning and Mm -hmm. said, hey, happy Father's Day. And I'm like, it's still early, but thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. But he came in to let me know, happy Father's Day. But... I'm also thinking about my dad today. My dad still lives back in Kentucky, of course, with my mom. And this is the first Father's Day. I won't get to celebrate it with him in person. I'll call him on the phone later on and talk to him. And that's fine. He understands. I sent him his gift through Amazon. He got it this past week. So that's something we're going to have to, uh, I guess, adjust to. It's something a little different than how we typically celebrate. But my dad is great. He was a great dad, still is a great dad, and taught me a lot of life lessons. And I remember when I was little, anytime I'd go on a trip with a bunch of kids, whether it was a school trip or youth group trip with the church or maybe with a ball team, you know, to go for an away game or whatever, dad would always give me money to eat on, but then he would give me extra money. And he would say, Now that money's not for you to spend. I don't want you to waste it or blow it, but if you're ever at a restaurant, you know, you guys stop to get something to eat and you notice that there's another kid not eating. You don't even ask them if they're hungry, if they want something to eat. You just go up to the counter, you buy them a hamburger, you buy them a sandwich, you get them something to eat, and you take it to them. I was like, okay, but why? And dad said that when he was a kid, he went on a trip, I believe it was a trip with his youth group, with his church, and his parents didn't know that on the way back they would be stopping to get something to eat, so they didn't give him any money, he was little. And So they stopped at a restaurant on the way back, and everybody else got something to eat, but my dad didn't, he didn't have any money. And so he sat there and he watched everybody else eat, and he was hungry. No one offered to buy him anything. As they were leaving, somebody said, what's the matter, Bob? Were you not hungry? My dad just kind of played off like, yeah, I wasn't hungry right now, or you know, but he was. My dad said, I sat there hungry, and no one offered me anything. And he looked at me, and he said, I don't ever want to see a kid go hungry. If you're ever on a trip, and somebody's not eating, you don't even ask, because they might feel embarrassed to say yes. You just go up, and you buy them something, you put it in front of them. He said, if they don't want it, they can throw it away, but you give them something to eat. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, our friends who don't know Jesus. They're all God's children. And our Father doesn't want any of His children going hungry. And it breaks His heart to see so many people in our community throughout the 918 who are spiritually hungry right now. Especially when we have something we can give them. I think that's the challenge that God is giving us. Just like he told his disciples in Mark 6.37, you give them something to eat. I believe he is telling us as first church today, you give them something to eat. It might be a huge challenge, but God isn't going to ask us to do anything. He's not going to give us the power to accomplish. My challenge to you through this series and through this final sermon is do something with your life whether it be through your gifts, your abilities, your resources, your time, your energy, whatever, your money, do something with your life that extends the love of God to those who need it. What are you doing with what Jesus has given you? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had this morning to meet together as your people. And we just pray that as we leave here that we will take to heart the challenge that we have received from your word, we will be a people who generously extend your love to a loss, to hurting, a broken world. Because Father, we meet people every single day that are spiritually starving and we have what they're looking for and we have what they need. It's your son, Jesus. So may we go out and love like him. May we give the people around us, throughout our community, what they need to eat. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.